Morning, church. How do you feel about reading God's Word? Are you excited? This is God's living, active. It's His breath on pages here. I thought I'd bring um, one of these old scrolls to church this morning, if you haven't seen one of these with the pages in it. Um, But uh, join with me, or scroll with me, turn the pages, as we look at uh, the Gospel of Luke. And we're looking at... Chapter 23, reading from verse 53 to 56, titled, The Burial of Jesus, and talking about a man named Joseph. Luke, chapter 23, we're starting at verse 50. Now there was a man named Joseph, a member of the council, a good and upright man, who had not consented to their decision and action. He came from the Judean town of Arimathea, and he himself was waiting for the kingdom of God. Going to Pilate, he asked for Jesus' body. Then he took it down, wrapped it in a linen cloth, and placed it in a tomb cut into the rock, one in which no one had yet been laid. It was preparation day, and the Sabbath was about to begin. The women who had come with Jesus from Galilee had followed Joseph and saw the tomb and how his body was laid in it. Then they went home and prepared spices and perfumes, but they rested on the Sabbath in obedience to his commandment. May God bless his word. Amen. Thanks so much, Tony. I'll just say a few inconsequential things so we can get the audio correct. So, that's all good. Well, good morning, one and all. It is great to have you gathered with us again, especially those of you online. Uh, Welcome and uh, thank you for coming along. We are continuing our series on those who encountered Christ. And we're looking at people who had a great experience and who transformed as a result of that. We're also looking at a few people who found that a negative experience and Christ actually didn't transform their life. But this morning, uh, we are looking at Joseph of Arimathea. And for me, it has been interesting reading the commentaries and people's opinions of Joseph. It seems there's just as many who give him a lot of flack as those who actually support him. You can't see the red up the back, so I'm glad you can see it up the front. But um, there's a lot of people who actually gave him a lot of flack because he was a disciple of Jesus, but he was secretly a disciple of Jesus. And and so there's a lot of people that say he shouldn't have been like that, he should have been more overt in his faith and things like that. But as we move through this, uh, we'll see um, some of the things that I believe actually happened with Joseph. But I want you to think about what's going on as we read this story right now. Peter, who had boasted, along with all the other disciples that, you know, even sorry, Peter boasted that all the other disciples may fall away, but he never would. In fact, he says that even if he had to die with the Lord Jesus Christ, he would prefer to do that rather than deny Jesus. And yet he did, three times, before the rooster crowed. The other disciples likewise pledged their allegiance to Christ uh, just as Peter had. And they said, yes, we, like Peter, will commit to die with you, Jesus, if that's what it takes. And where are they now? They're exactly where Jesus predicted they would be. They had all fallen away, 
The shepherd had been struck and the flock had fled. All of them had gone. Interesting, the women remained though, isn't it? But for the women, how can they claim Christ's body? They're from Galilee. None of them could afford a grave in Jerusalem. None of them would have the ability that could, to ensure that Jesus could be buried before the evening arrived at 6pm. And it's looking like Jesus' body would join those of all the other criminals who have been crucified. They would be unclaimed and they would be thrown on the rubbish outside the city and the scavenging creatures would come and deal with those bodies. But that wasn't to be for Jesus. Joseph of Arimathea musters the courage and steps out in faith when no other follower of Christ did. Even though they possibly wanted to, they stayed away and they feared the same judgment and fate of the Lord Jesus Christ. It was Joseph alone who stepped up. Joseph is the man that is needed at this time, a man of influence who Pilate would have no hesitation in releasing Jesus' body to, a rich man, a member of the Sanhedrin. He was respected. And what is incredible is that we didn't hear about Joseph before this account and we never hear about him again in Scripture. But so significant is his actions that he's mentioned in all four Gospels. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the account and story of Joseph in your word. I thank you, Lord, that your word always has something to teach us. And I just pray now, Lord, that our minds will be open to the truth of what you have to say this morning. And that, Lord, we will focus on you and nothing else. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Joseph of Arimathea reminds me a little bit of Joseph, the husband of Mary. Both of them appeared on the scene for a short period of time and then we hear no more about them. It seems that Joseph, Mary's husband, was there long enough to be an influence and an earthly father to Jesus and after he has fulfilled that role, it seems like he passed away. We don't hear anything about Joseph during Jesus' ministry or just before Jesus' ministry begins. And this Joseph is much the same. He steps right into history just as Jesus dies. And he does one thing, one thing so significant that it's a fulfilment of Scripture. And it puts Joseph in all four Gospels, as I've said. But then he disappears again. And we hear nothing more about him in the Scripture. But there are some things that we do actually know about Joseph. He was a good and righteous man. And as we begin the reading tonight, we seem, uh, sorry, this morning, we seem to have this bit of a contradiction. How can a man who is a member of the council be a follower of Jesus? This council had 71 members who were part of it. It was the Jewish Sanhedrin, and these were the men who sentenced Jesus to death. And some commentators actually believe that Joseph was present during that sentencing. And they choose to say that he remained silent. He sat in the background. He didn't stand up for Jesus. He simply abstained from voting. But that's mere speculation. We really do not know. What we do know is there was this man named Joseph from the Jewish town of Arimathea. He was a member of the council, a good and righteous man who had not consented to their decision and action. And he was looking for the kingdom of God. What we do know is that he had not agreed with the Sanhedrin's decision to pursue Christ, to persecute him and have him executed. I personally believe that Caiaphas, when he organised those men late at night to come and judge Jesus, he would have been selective with those that he had there. 
He would have made sure that they would have been the ones who willingly would have condemned this innocent man, regardless of the evidence that was presented. I believe that as a result, there would have been some obvious exclusions. John 19.38 tells us that Joseph was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews. And again, I don't know how this played out, but we can know for sure that he was a good and righteous man because we are actually told that. This is not trivial. Every time the Gospels are read, Joseph is upheld as a good and righteous man. So what is it that's being said about him? The word translated good here means that someone is naturally good. It is part of their makeup and characteristic. It's a good which translates to being useful and benefiting others. A good person in this context will be thinking of how he can do good for other people. This is part of who Joseph is. And he's also considered righteous. The word translated righteous here is one which means defines very high standards of morally correct behaviour or thinking. When referring to a person, it defines them as morally or ethically righteous. The one who habitually practices righteousness is not perfect, but their righteous character is expressed in righteous conduct. This would be a man or woman who knows God and obeys him. In simple terms, a righteous person is a saved person. And I want to make it clear that a person practicing righteousness is not saved by that righteousness, but rather their righteousness that they're practicing is an outward sign that reveals an inner transformation that has already happened. It reveals their true character. And Joseph of Arimathea is said to be righteous. Jesus' earthly father, Joseph, is also said to be righteous in Matthew 1.19. Zechariah and Elizabeth, those two prophets at the temple, um, oh, sorry, Zechariah and Elizabeth, the parents of John the Baptist, are both said to have been righteous as well in Luke 1.6. We're also told that Joseph was waiting or looking for the kingdom of God. And again, the translation to English is lacking here a little. The original Greek describes someone who was looking forward for something with a sense of expectation. There was this excitement. There was this hope that it would actually happen within his lifetime. And this is how Joseph was. It's the same waiting and looking that is described that describes, sorry, Simeon, the one who blesses Jesus in Luke 2 and rejoices that God has allowed him to see his salvation before he departs this world. It's the same word used for Anna, the prophetess, who was also there looking for the kingdom of God and began giving thanks to God when she sees the baby Jesus. We have no clear indication of how Joseph, being a believer in secret, was manifested. We don't know what happened. We also have no clear indication of when he first became a believer in Jesus. And I think Joseph is possibly one of those people who rightfully served God before Jesus came and he was looking for the promised Messiah. And at some time that transition happened where he believed Jesus Christ was the promised Messiah. Maybe it happened during this time we read and he simply had not revealed that to anyone. Scripture is silent. But we're told that he was good and righteous that he passionately and diligently looked for the kingdom of God. And I don't know about you, but I want to be more and more like that. And because I see him as a man who pursued Jesus, a man who so wanted the kingdom of God to come, I have trouble thinking of him negatively. Regardless 
something happens and he casts aside the fact that his faith is secret. And suddenly he becomes bold. And we know from verse 51 that Joseph didn't agree with the council's decision to crucify Jesus. And we don't know how vocal he was in that protest, but we know that now he risks everything. And he went to Pilate. And he asked Pilate for the body of Jesus. The account of Luke is the same as Matthew 27, 58, where Joseph goes to Pilate and asks for his body. Mark 15, 43 says that Joseph took courage and went to Pilate to ask for Jesus' body. And what's interesting is Joseph doesn't appear to wait. When he knows Jesus is dead, he goes straight to Pilate and asks for the body. This is clearer in the Mark passage where it says that Pilate was surprised to hear that Jesus was dead and he actually calls for the centurion to confirm that Christ had already died. And when he does confirm that, he releases the body to Joseph. And this is all God's doing. And perhaps Joseph's faith was kept secret until this moment for it was vital that a man like Joseph step up at this time. There are a few things going on from an earthly perspective. When we think about Jesus, Jesus was considered to be a rebel, a criminal. And it's not common for the body of a criminal to be released like this. As I said, the body of a criminal would be thrown on the rubbish heap outside the city. But Pilate has the power and authority to release this body. And Pilate would also be very comfortable releasing this body to Joseph simply because of Joseph's membership to the Sanhedrin. And there was another reason too. Joseph taking Jesus' body and burying it fulfilled prophecy of this event. Isaiah 53.9 says, And they made his grave with the wicked and with the rich man in his death. Although he had done no violence, there was no deceit in his mouth. Jesus made his grave with the wicked. He died with two criminals. But in his death, he was buried with the rich. This prophecy was 700 years previously. And Joseph fulfills this or helps to fulfill it by taking Jesus' body and placing it in his own grave. He was a very wealthy man. And God is also working out his plans and purposes through Joseph. Jesus said in Matthew 12, 40, that he would be buried three days and three nights. And I've never really thought about this in the context of what happened with Joseph. When we think about how much the women loved Jesus, all of the disciples had departed, all of them had left, but these women still hung there by the grave. They saw him crucified. They saw him buried. What would stop these women from coming to the grave the next day to do that which needed to be done, to embalm the body properly? And how would that work in the context of Scripture? Jesus said he would be in the grave for three days and three nights. And if the women came and opened that grave, I don't know what they would have found. But God so ordained it that there was a Sabbath the very next day. And so, and this particular one was significant. And so the women wouldn't go there. They wouldn't break the law. It said in the passage that we read that they didn't go according to the commandment. And so Christ was left undisturbed in that grave on that day. Joseph, and Nicodemus played their parts in ensuring that Jesus was buried before the end of Friday. By Jewish way of thinking, because he was buried before 6pm, part of that day makes that one day. And so Jesus was in the grave for three days. These were men who no longer cared about what others thought. 
They were overtly declaring their faith in Jesus. And they, at that time, had no idea of the critical role they were playing in fulfilling God's prophecy. God is so incredible. And these guys, these servants, so faithful. Think again about what has happened. All of the disciples had fled, but Joseph stepped up. When the others fell away, Joseph's loyalty and commitment to Jesus was strengthened. When Peter and the others denied even knowing Jesus, Joseph steps up and makes a very public declaration of his allegiance to Jesus. His actions are clear. He follows Jesus. There are some commentators who say that when Joseph went and got the body of Christ, he wouldn't have touched it. Because he was such a wealthy man, he would have paid his servants to actually do the embalming of everything like that. But I don't believe that. Joseph took the body down, he wrapped it in a linen shroud, and he laid it in a tomb cut of stone where no one had ever yet been laid. And I believe Joseph himself did the work. I believe he went and got the body with his new friend in Nicodemus, the same Nicodemus that Pastor Darrell spoke about a few weeks ago, who is perhaps now born again. Commentators say that Joseph would not have touched the body because that would have made him unclean for seven days. He wouldn't have been able to participate in the Passover. Could you imagine the conversation he would have had to the Sanhedrin, to the Jewish council, to those leaders, explaining why he was unable to celebrate the significant Passover because he had touched a dead body, none other than Jesus Christ, the man that they had crucified. But I believe he did it. Because something had changed for Joseph. He had taken some very bold steps which openly declared he'd chosen to follow Jesus. The significance of the Passover meal is lost on Joseph as he looked to the body of the man before him. And for Joseph, Jesus had become his Passover lamb, the promised redeemer of mankind. I don't think he fully understood that at this time, but he believed it. In John 19.39, it says that Joseph and Nicodemus anointed Jesus with a hundred pounds of spices. All bodies that were buried were anointed with spices. But a hundred pounds? That's a quantity reserved for a king. That's a quantity reserved for nobility. That's a quantity reserved for a significant person. And that indicates just how much Joseph and Nicodemus thought of Jesus. They elevated him to that position of king, a rightful position. And it would seem Joseph decided to honour Jesus in death. He gave Jesus his unused tomb. He went to Pilate boldly and asked for Jesus' body. He wrapped Jesus in linen, indicating again that Joseph was a wealthy man. And he treated Jesus' body as that of a king. In the weeks leading up to this, I don't think Joseph would have had any idea about what was going to happen. I don't even think he would have thought about preparing and burying Jesus. But when the time came, he stepped up doing what he believed needed to be done. All the other disciples had fled, but Joseph was in the right place at the right time. 
What, what does all this mean for us? It's a great story. It's an encouraging story. It's just incredible to think of Joseph here doing such an incredible thing for the Lord Jesus Christ. But what does it mean for us? Joseph was a disciple of Christ, but in secret fear of the Jews. And it's unclear what this actually meant. But what we do know is that Joseph is good and righteous. And those virtues had him living righteously before God and serving others faithfully. Joseph feared the Jews. What is our fear? What is it that worries us? What are we concerned about? We cannot, must not, hide our faith. Luke 8, 16 says, No one after lighting a lamp covers it with a jar and puts it under a bed, but he puts it on a stand so that those who enter may see the light. And God has a reason and purpose for each one of us. I cannot emphasize that enough. We are all part of one body. We are all called to serve him. And if we live in constant fear, fear of offending others, fear of what people will think of us, fear of being rejected, fear of whatever, we will never achieve the ultimate purpose that God and Jesus has for us in our life. He wants to shine his light through us to others. His plan to reach the world is through us, his people. There is no other plan. If we say we love Jesus as our Lord and Saviour, and yet we haven't told anyone about our faith, why not? What's stopping us? What hinders us from standing for him? We need to listen to his voice. We need to listen to his call. He says... Go into all of the world, making disciples of all men, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I have commanded. And I will be with you even to the end of the age. We are called to proclaim his name and his message of salvation. That's his call on each and every one of us. But so many don't heed the call. Listen to what he says again. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send laborers into his harvest. Jesus saw the crowds and he had compassion on them. He still sees the crowds and his heart breaks because we remain silent. We don't speak up for him. We don't seem to understand all we have received in Jesus. Because if we did, if we understood the depth of his forgiveness, his incredible great love for us, his never-ending compassion and grace, we'd pass that on to others. We wouldn't be able to help ourselves. God, forgive us. Break our hard hearts. Are we willing to look to the cross and say that's not enough? It was the cross which changed Joseph. He was a believer in secret. 
He had not agreed with Jesus' death and when he saw that this innocent man had been put to death, he could remain silent no longer. He looked at the cross. He saw the injustice of it and realised to his shame that he had not been standing for Jesus. The one that he had been looking forward to with great anticipation. Can you see that today? Can you see your need, my need, of the forgiving, cleansing blood of Jesus? He who knew no sin took my place. And I beg you, make your stand with him today. Don't allow your fear of man and shame stop you. If you do, your shame will come when you stand in his presence in glory. How can I be silent about the suffering of Jesus that he endured for my sin? I believe Joseph responded to a call on him. What is God calling you to today? Don't deny him. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. If you take that initial step of faith, he will be with you. He will encourage you. He will empower you. Here is this man who had a faith in secret, who stepped up to Pilate. Before this event, he was unknown. He was unheard of. But he was prompted by God and he responded. In his humble obedience, he becomes a man who is spoken about in all of the Gospels in Scripture. Timid though he was, insecure in his ability, he steps out in obedience for this one event. Who knows what happened to him afterwards? There's certainly some wonderful stories and speculation about him. I choose not to believe any of them. But it's quite amazing. And you think about who's sitting here. You think about who's sitting at home. We have no idea what God can do with any one of you who will make this stand for him today. And that's the question. Will you put aside your reservations? Will you put aside your fears? Will you say, Jesus, I will stand for you today. As we sang, I surrender. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you, you're a God who transforms us. I thank you, you have a reason and a purpose for each one of us. And Lord, some of us are going to feel inadequate. Some of us are going to feel insecure. Some of us are going to feel that there's nothing you can do in, through and around us. And Lord, that is so true if we hold to that. But Lord, if we bring what we have, however small, however little our faith, and we hand that to you, you can do great things. You multiplied five small loaves and two small fish, Lord, and you fed 5,000. Lord, if I come with my little faith, who knows what you will do. And so, Lord, I pray for each person gathered here in the auditorium. I pray for those gathered at home. I ask, Lord, by power of Holy Spirit, that you'll minister to them, that you'll encourage them, that you'll let them see you have a reason and a purpose for them and them alone. And if they would submit to you, if they will surrender themselves fully to you, if they will overcome the fear, whatever that fear is, Lord, you will do great things. And they will have a life where they can celebrate your presence, power and love constantly with them. Challenge us, I pray, Lord. Use us for your glory. 
in Jesus' name.